Welcome to a bonus episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion. And today, I'm very lucky to be joined by Alan Barr. Alan, what's up, man? Not much. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, uh, always happy to. It's great. Wonderful. So, uh, Alan is the uh, owner and lead designer of Gallant Knight Games. And uh, Gallant Knight Games has been having a big year. Am I right, man? Uh, it's been pretty great, yeah. In some respects, obviously. Well, I mean, you know, there's always upside and downside. But I just I just feel like every time I turn around, I see another uh, Gallant Knight project. I mean, it just seems like it seems like you're really busy. Am I right? I, uh, I mean, I don't get paid if I don't work, right? <laughs> well, that's what they tell me. Um... Let's go ahead and start with sort of just, you know, ease the ease the listeners into it. Why don't you help us out with some bona fides for the listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with your work? Why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself Sure. and your work? Yeah, no problem. Um, my name is Alan Barr. I am the founder, owner, yada, 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 Gallant Night Games. I also work as a project manager on Nocturnal Media, the publishers of Pendragon, and the owners of West End Games and the D6 system. Uh... I mean, I'm probably best known for in my Gallant Night game life the tiny line of games, Tiny D6, which is Tiny Frontiers, Tiny Dungeon Second Edition, Tiny Wastelands, that stuff. Also, Cold Shadows, Four Coin and Blood. Um, you announced last week an upcoming Zorro role playing game. It's going to be coming out from us. And then we have a bunch of partners we work with who also publish stuff through us uh, Ben Warner's World of Dew, Toby Abad's A Single Moment. It's lots of great stuff. Man, that's, uh, that's quite a resume. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Before we get into the whole professional aspect of it, you know, I like to ask people, how did you get into gaming? But they usually have the same answer. And I listen to other podcasts, and everybody has the same answer. And it's basically like, oh, my role, my, bro, my older brother played it, or somebody at school played it, and I kind of saw it, and I got into it. Do you have a story that's radically different than that? Do you have... Do you have, do you have an origin story of how you got into gaming that is just like... Yeah, actually, I do. Lay it on me, String Bean. What we got? All right. So uh, I don't know if String Bean's a good qualifier. I'm a I'm six three and two hundred sixty pounds. <laughs> that's, that's from Seinfeld. I just I stole oh, it from. Seinfeld. Well, I've never seen that, so I wouldn't know. Um. Yeah. So I'm the oldest, so I don't have an older brother to drag me into stuff. I have to blaze my own trail, and my family will sent, and uh, none of them get role playing games actually. So I failed to blaze that trail at any level of success. <laughs> Uh, no, so it was scout camp. I got lost, and I ended up in the wrong troops scout camp, like campsite at a, like a group area scout camp, and they were playing Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, <laughs> instead of going right back to my campsite like I'm supposed to do, I uh, said, "Hey, this looks fun. What are you guys doing?" And uh, and we kind of just went from there with my uh, half elf druid with his dire flail. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was. Definitely not a min-maxing uh, sense there from the start. 
And so then after that, you went out and acquired your own materials and formed your own group, or did you hang out with those kids? Did you find those kids? Again? No, they were they were from. I'm from North Dakota, born and raised out there. So uh, gaming groups were a commodity that was several hours away at best. So I tried to recruit my siblings, but uh, until I went to college, I mostly just ha- bought all the books and just kept reading them. I didn't really actually uh, do a lot of playing till college. But when I got to college. Uh, all of my roommates were in on the Dungeons and Dragons thing through serendipitous happenstance, and uh, it all went down downhill from there, I suppose, in the sense. <laughs> so, so in that period when a lot of people are kind of getting out of it and they're like, "Oh, I discovered partying and girls and stuff like that," yeah. you were like, "We were like, now I can actually do it." That was part of it. I uh, I also went to BYU out in Utah, so there wasn't a lot of the partying <laughs> and girls in the same sense. <laughs> But uh, but uh, there had to have been plenty of um, uh, hatred for Dungeons and Dragons, right? Ah, uh, I mean, no, Utah's a super creative community. Actually, there was seven or eight D and D groups in my like little dorm area. Really? Yeah, there was uh, no issues finding people to play D and D with. Wow, that's that's really interesting. That blows my mind. I would have expected uh, you. You always assume that the religious communities are going to be very intolerant towards it. No, yeah, it's uh. It's big out here. I can't throw a rock without hitting a game store. Wow. Well, all right. That's dude. That's that's the, one of the best things I ever heard about Utah. Yeah, sure. that's uh, that's the main reason I haven't moved. Nice, nice. So, um, let me ask you just before we move on. How long did you end up playing with those kids before they made you go back to your camp? Uh, seven hours and a couple search parties later. Seriously, <laughs> it did not go well. <laughs> I was in a lot of trouble. Oh man, that's great. That's that's a good one. Thank you for sharing. So, um, how did you transition from being a player into the world of design? I I, I take it I take it now you're a full time designer. Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, Gallon and Games has been my full Gallon and Games and the Nocturnal Media have been my full time job for the last eighteen months. I actually went back into the workforce because my wife and I are doing foster care, so I need to get like insurance and actual adult stuff in my life. So I, I have transitioned back into the main workforce um, for those reasons, but I'm still doing the game stuff full time too. Wow, yeah, I mean, you you must be because you're just, you're you're the output is prodigious. I prodigious. yeah, I write a lot. And 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 how did you how did you make that transition from being yeah. just like a consumer of games and a player of games to a creator of games? Yeah, so I was a pretty active player, uh, four or five groups a week for a long time. And uh, I got into, back in the old days, they had on, like, the D&D, when they had forums back there, they had those, like, optimization contests and, like, the adventure writing contests and all that stuff. And I did a lot of those. Really? Um, and a lot of third-party ones, different forums, different websites. And I don't remember, I don't think it was D&D, um, but uh, somebody, uh, somebody took pity on me after all my submissions because they must have been terrible. Because they, they took the time to reach out and tell me what not to do on my next submission. <laughs> really? And uh, I think they were tired of reading my crap. And I. What, and what, what was their advice? Uh, it was a lot of it was a, a lot of basic stuff. Um, you know, I, I really only a D and D experience at that point. I had to only been like 17, 18. and uh, they said read other games, play other games, uh, and, they, and just lots of you know. Keep working at it, but try to suck less was the general tone of the advice. Um, 
But I just like pointers, like in this dungeon, here's what you could have done that would have been more interesting than the choice. You know, because as an 18 year old, you're, you're, it's all about the tropes, right? You're like, yeah, and of course, this drow dual wield scimitars, because that's what all drow do. <laughs> all um, the cool ones. Right? And uh, so, yeah, so they, I, I wish I could tell you who it was. I don't even have access to that email account anymore. Those forms are long gone. But uh, whoever that kind soul was who took pity on me, I owe them a career. So if, <laughs> if they tell me who they are, I will buy them a drink. Yeah, I hope that person's out there because it's it's one of the shames the, of losing physical mail. You know, like Stephen King has all these old letters that people sent him saying, like, here's what you could do a little differently, you know. But now we have lost passwords and scrubbed accounts, right? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, definitely different. So, um... What was your first move into into the design world? Um, so first there was some freelancing that never came to light that I, I think the NDAs are still in force for, even though it's been like seven years. Um, but the first major one was uh, Planet Mercenary. I was hired by Hypernode Media, which is the uh, Howard Taylor webcomic Schlock Mercenary. And uh, they wanted to do an RPG. I knew Howard because he used to draw at a game store I worked at for a time. And... Uh, they wanted to hear my pitch for an RPG, and they really liked my pitch, and so they hired me to do the whole RPG. And you wrote the whole thing? Uh, yeah, well, obviously. I did the. I designed all the rules um, with input, and then I didn't write the world-building setting stuff, obviously, because Howard had it all in his head. He didn't need me to translate that for him. But yeah, the rule system was all me. And that never came out? No, it's out. It uh, we raised on oh, 300. Oh, that's one of the ones that's out. That was the first one to come out. That was my first. Uh, that's my first thing with my name on it. Okay, great. Um, full cool, RPG, cool. raised 340k on Kickstarter, was uh, did really well. It was great. Well, that, that can't have been too long ago then. No, that was 2015 we ran the Kickstarter. It only came out last year, 2017, I want to say. Oh, wow. Wow. Dang, man. So that that's, shoot, you're, uh, you, that, that's, a, that's a meteoric rise. That was a pretty quick turnaround, huh? Uh, well, in my defense, I was working on Planet Mercenary for like three or four years before the Kickstarter, so... It, to me, oh, okay. it doesn't feel that long. I suppose outside looking in, it, it would look like I just kind of did this, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of 99% preparation, 1% waiting for the luck to come around. <laughs> right on. So, okay, um, you have, a, at this point, you have a huge body of work behind you, and a lot of it is, is, is consolidated behind Gallant Knight. So... You want to walk our listeners through everything that you've got available from Tiny D6 to Four Blood and Coin and Cold Shadows? Oh my gosh, um, I don't, I don't know if I know all that off the top of my head. Let me pull it up. Well, I mean, okay, like give give us the give us the highlights. Okay, what, cool. So if, if somebody wanted to get into the to Allen Bar games, give give us the the greatest hits, man. What's the New York Times bestsellers? Um, well, our our so our best bestseller is Tiny Dungeon Second Edition. That's the one. Uh, that I think everybody kind of goes to. It's a uh, minimalist fantasy role playing. So the entire body of work for the rules can be condensed to like a page. Um, the base mechanic is you roll 2d6. If either dice shows a 5 or a 6, you do the thing. If you have advantage, you roll 3d6. If you have disadvantage, you roll 1d6. Um, your character is a heritage, which comes with a, a trait that like tells you something you get advantage on or some other bonus. Then you pick three traits and you're done. That's it. So your character has four traits, some hit points, uh, a weapon you're good with, and you can just play. Cool. 
uh, does does the GM uh, roll dice yeah. also? Yeah, it's okay. uh, it's not player facing. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then you've taken that and you've spun that system into a lot of different stuff. Yeah, we have sci-fi. So out right now, we have Tiny Frontiers Revised, which is space opera. It's the revised edition of my very first RPG. We got the chance to redo it. Um, and I was I was kind of... I've learned a lot in you know two years. I'm going to go back and fix all these things that really kind of bug me. Um, and then we did Tiny like Dungeon. What? Oh, I became a better art director. I became a better. Uh, I was more. I became more knowledgeable about what makes good layout, um, good writing. I learned how to communicate rules and ideas better. Just a, a lot of stuff. Any, anything you care to share with us? Like anything like 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 like? Let's imagine that there's some. The, somebody out well, here you can you can actually get the old one. The first Tiny Frontiers is pay what you want right now on Drive Through RPG, mm-hmm. and it will be forever. Um, so if you want to see it and then get the new one, you can totally compare and just see it for yourself. But like, for me, the biggest thing is the art. The art is just way improved. Um, it's a much better and book you, to look at. And you feel like that was because of the art direction that you did. Yeah, we got better at the art direction. I got better at what makes good layout. So I was able to give my layout guy better notes. Uh, say, hey, this isn't going to work long term or whatever. And then there's there's obviously rules improvements, but not not a ton of rules improvements just like small tweaks to problematic wording or we we missed this rule the first time around we got to add it in that kind of stuff so okay i'm sorry i interrupted oh, you you're good so you, you you second edition tiny frontiers and then uh right out right now is tiny frontiers mechas and monsters which is a kaiju mecha mashup game that is powered by that engine you can play as the kaiju or the mecha um and it's very streamlined very focused uh the rules are still only like 40 pages for the mecha kaiju game i mean we, we don't get into crazy stuff stuff in there um no there's no rules for heat sinks no that's not needed (laughs) i mean mean, i'm sure that's fun for some people but i think for most gamers that gets in the way of the fun at the table in a large aspect right like at least my experience has been there is a subset who likes that stuff and they're a very kind of vocal subset about that stuff but most gamers they just want to be in a giant robot and rocket punch something in the face no i feel you there yeah, so Tiny Wastelands is coming out. Um, it's in layout right now. We did a Kickstarter in February, February, March, something like that. I don't remember exactly. It'll be out, uh, should be out in PDF in the next month or so. And then uh, Tiny Supers is going to Kickstarter in about a week. Wow, okay, great. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of updates for that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's uh, we're, we're being a little more ambitious with this one. Uh, it's full color, full color art, tons of art, like 40-something pieces already, and we've got stretch goals for more. Uh, all kinds of stuff. We're, this is going to be the first one with a cohesive full universe behind it. Normally we create micro settings, which are little six page high level settings designed to kind of give the GM just a jumping point, but not be a full setting, right? Uh, this one's actually going to have a full setting attached to it called the gallant verse. Interesting. And, uh, this is, uh, like your comic book universe or is it a number of people put it together? Um, it's, overseen by me with lots of contributors and what's what's the main inspiration for it um four color classic superheroes marvel stuff um just kind of drawn from a lot we have a character who's like a super science pulp hero a la dark uh doc savage um we've got we've got like a kind of a superman analog we've got a guy in a suit of armor except he's a speedster um I was always I that one came from I used to watch we watched the Flash in my house a lot and uh, all the bad guys are in this like super cool armor all the time and the Flash is always in like a, his little red jumpsuit yeah and I was like why do why do all the bad guys get like the cool bulky intimidating armor why can't a superhero have super speed armor 
And nice. so one of the main character, one of the like our iconics, is a superhero who gets his super speed from his armor. Outside of it, he's normal. So. And then, so is that the range, the tiny D6 range, that, as of right now? As of right now, yeah. With tiny supers coming, that'll be the newest one. There's more coming eventually, but uh, we kind of. I've written seven, and they're just sitting there until I get them out. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So there's and a few. No. Kind of just uh, uh, keeping that under wraps, though, right? No, we've talked about a few. We've got a uh, tiny monsters, which is sort of a kind of a universal horror inspired uh, monster RPG. Um, there's uh, tiny Cthulhu. There's um, we've got tiny cyberpunk coming. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yep. It's uh, it'll pair well with uh, tiny wastelands. Nice. The two sides of the apocalypse, in a sense. Yeah. So um. All right, tell us about uh, for Blood and Coin then. Yeah, so for us uh, for Coin and Blood. Um, Shit. Oh man. Okay. Sorry, I had that written. No, no. Words. You're everybody. You know, everybody does that. Um, and I, when I was so it's funny you bring that up because I was working on it and that came up a couple times. I don't know why, but the 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 coin before the blood piece really spoke to me more than for Blood and Coin just didn't click for me like the way for Coin and Blood does. Okay, as a creator from the creator. Yeah, I don't know why. And then everybody's like, you got to change it. It's confusing. Put it in alphabetical order. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. Now that it's out <laughs> and everybody gets it wrong, I'm like, I kind of wish I did that. <laughs> uh, no, so For Coin and Blood is a OSR D20 RPG. It's my first one. Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, kind of the DIY ethos of the OSR community. Um, and I really like the sort of the everything doesn't have to be codified mm-hmm. uh, take on the OSR. It's, a, it's, a, it's something I really enjoy. And For Coin and Blood was sort of my look at the OSR and going, I don't play fantasy games the way they make fantasy games. I've never played fantasy the way D&D wants me to play fantasy. Elaborate on that. How, how, how is it that you play and how is it you think that they want you to play? Um, so, and I think 5th edition makes this the most apparent. 4th and 5th edition did this the most. Um, they made it very heroic, um, and it always has been, I think, was the goal, right? But 5th edition really doubled down on that, and that's not bad. I There is a place for those games. I do like them. Um, but when I run Dungeons & Dragons or those kind of games, my goal is to tell interesting stories, and I feel a lot of time like... Uh, it may be... I mean, it's probably my weakness as a GM, right? But for me... I find it hard to play a game with a rule set and force the rule set to shift, right? Like, if you if you play a paladin in D&D, it's always going to feel like a paladin in D&D, in a large sense. And um, the ethical dilemmas of the D&D morality system don't really work for me. Well, I think you could make a case that they don't work at all, but, but go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, they, I feel you. They work in a certain context, and I think that's important, right? With Stormbringer... You know that sort of morality system works. Sure, I mean I love Stormbringer. I, I, that was that was a, that was a deliberate statement. I am aware. I have a <laughs> I have a copy of the Michael Whalen book signed on my shelf. Wonderful. Um, but uh, so for me, the morality system never quite clicked. Um, and and I get its appeal to people, and I definitely don't dispute that. But I like I like kind of a gray area morality when it comes to ethical questions. Yes. Um, I I think I think elves and dwarves and dragons and such kind of dilute the idea of man's inhumanity to man Mm -hmm. which to me is the most compelling part of fantasy is 
heroes are only born when they have something to kind of struggle against. You need that tension. You need that push and pull. Um, and I think you get a better hero and a better heroic origin if you're push and pulling against not the standard nine grid alignment. I, I think letting everybody choose their morals and their ethics works a lot better. Um, I've always been a big fan of Glenn Cook and the Black Company, um, mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. like Joe Abercrombie, and that kind of that gray area, grim dark morality. Yes. So yes. So uh, which it's probably why I made a Spire PG too. That's very gray. But I uh, so this was my kind of my if I was gonna take D and D and take it to that kind of root. Basically, if first edition D and D was based on Glenn Cook or Joe Abercrombie and not the Moorcock, Tolkien, um, Dying Earth stuff. What would mm-hmm. what do I think it would look like? And uh, Four Coin and Blood is kind of what came out of that. Okay, great, great. Now that was on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and uh, it backed it. It yeah. funded. It's it's done, and it's up on uh, Drive Through right now. Yeah, is that right. You can get it. Uh, yeah, we tried a new form of Kickstarter. We did a one week Kickstarter uh, PDF POD only. We weren't shipping anything. It was just you get a code, you buy it. We've always done our own books and fulfilled our own stuff before, so this was a, kind of a shift for us, and it went really well. And it's on; it was on drive-through within a week, um, and you can buy it now. It was it was so fast. I backed that, and I still haven't purchased my POD just because it came so quick. It's one of those things where it's like like when when you've done enough Kickstarters, you start getting into this kind of like I don't know laconic sort of like well, I'll deal with that game in two years when it finally shows up kind of thing. And then that thing was out in like a month. I mean, it was crazy. It was so fast. I, uh, I've i only ever been late on one Kickstarter, and that was due to a death. Every other one has been on time. Or my first one was three months early. So. Oh, wow. Wow. I don't Thanks. I don't like late because I don't like things hanging over my head. Yeah, it's a terrible feeling. Yeah, it's an absolutely awful. ghastly feeling. Um, For Coin and Blood, is is that's PBTA, right? Uh, no, it's uh, it's white box. It's uh, D twenty OSR oh, white box. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. You see, the thing is, is I think I backed it around a similar time that I backed Vagabonds of Diefed. Ben Dutter's game. That's a great game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I backed that one too. I really like that one. That's another one that like I mean, because I don't think that one's out yet, right? No, or, it is. I have my like, copies on my shelf. Is it? Oh, oh, that must be another one that I got in POD. Yeah. And like they're both uh, they're both like, just sitting there waiting for me, and I um and and so I I, I conflate them in my head all the time. <laughs> I, I I I need I need to just get these games on my shelf that happens all the time to me too i back a lot of kickstarters i'm always like which one was this yeah right right um your uh cold shadows speaking of kickstarters just uh uh fulfilled right uh yes all the pack today was the last day we shipped stuff so i have to post an update tomorrow but uh oh wow the last ones are out uh yeah should all be in the mail uh barring anybody who didn't like do their backer kit or something but that's awesome man yeah um, that was a long road my uh my buddy ben bailey who uh did this show for a while okay he and i both backed it and i got my stuff and then um it, it took him a little bit longer to get his and it arrived today at work we worked together oh, nice. and it arrived and he opened it up and he was so impressed with all the stuff he got he got the le edition he got the oh good soft back yeah it he got it came out beautifully it looks stellar and feels stellar yeah oh yeah yeah it's super legit why don't you tell us about that game yeah so uh i'm a big john le carre fan uh the spy mm-hmm. novelist like huge fan second favorite author i have all of his books on my shelf i've got signed copies of his books i love that stuff and no spy rpg on the market in my opinion captured that tension feeling of the imminent threat of violence without delivering violence right like uh, it stuff works because people aren't gonna draw guns, but they might. 
and the fact that they might is a big deal, right? It's sort of this Damocles sword aspect to the books and the writing. And I wanted something that evoked that more uh, tension and thriller aspect of the spy genre rather than the action spy stuff. Uh, yeah. Like, I've got Spycraft. I've got a bunch of that kind of stuff. And that's all... That's, I love those games, but they're, they're action. They're Mission Impossible. They're James Bond. Yeah. Uh, I wanted Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I wanted The Night Manager. And so I licensed the rule set for Blood and Honor from John Wick Presents, which is uh, it's a fantastic uh, rule set. And we made some modifications. Uh, we kind of took it in a spy and Cold War setting and really moved it uh, forward. And uh, that way, toward, no, I shouldn't say forward, I say, we moved it kind of laterally into a new avenue for the rules to focus on. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm pleased with how it came out. It's a fantastic game in my opinion. I would love to, and, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, I would love to claim it was one of my better designs, but I just worked on somebody else's excellent framework, so I can't even say that. So um, what, what changes did you make to uh, Blood and Honor to make the game click and to give it that feeling that you, that you wanted? Yeah, part of it was um, a kind of a, we added some mechanics around how spy agencies work, um, how they're affected by the passage of time, around character background, touchstones, where you came from before you were a spy all kind of matters a lot more now. Um, that was all added. Uh, we added... Um, so we, we kind of tweaked a few make, like really underlying engine mechanics that are really nitty-gritty and would be really boring unless you wanted to talk like advanced mathematics and probability. Uh, some mm-hmm. subtle changes there to kind of make things flow a little better on a mechanical perspective. Um, because a samurai drama and spy drama, well, similar, they are a little bit different, so you have to, you have to make some allowances that way. We added mechanics for betrayal and trust to the game, uh, rules for cover... And we, uh, and then we added some, there's some like gadget rules and stuff. Uh, we added some chapters about how, uh, violence works in the spy genre, things like that. Now, okay, so uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you are a far greater, uh, student of the Le Carie novel than I am. I've read, I've read a couple, I, I had kind of dalliance with them in high school. Sure. But I never got super immersed into them. Oh. What, what strikes me about how, those books are written, though, from what I recall, and I could be mm-hmm. entirely wrong, is that they are generally about kind of solitary individuals, and that they're kind of like they they usually are very thick books that have a big cast, and that those the the the, the way that those dramas are kind of set up is that they, there'll be one person doing one thing, but they're not really working as a team. Kind of a focal point in their own little bubbles. Yeah, exactly, and it keeps shifting. The perspectives yeah. almost keep shifting. So, how does your game address that in a in in a in a uh, a genre? Yeah, how does it address that genre around the table? Jeez, that's a that's a good question. Wow, nobody's ever asked me that. Um, I have an answer for it actually, but nobody's ever asked. Um, so lay it on two, me. I two ways. Know. First, from a game design perspective, we have a solitaire mode where you can play it as a single player playing an RPG, or a two player mode. Ooh. Yes, indeed, ooh. Uh, written by the excellent Toby Abad, actually, who is a master of solitaire and two-player RPGs. He's fantastic. Um, so that that's the first one. That's the easy answer, right? We, we created a mechanical apparatus for that. The bigger answer is, in the underlying mechanics of the system, the Blood and Honor system, players don't roll for outcome, right? In D&D, you roll, you say, I got an 18, the DM tells you, you hit the orc, right? Here, mm-hmm. when you roll, the 
the winner of the role is rolling to determine the privilege to narrate the story. So if you and I were in a gunfight, or let's say we were having an interrogation, and I'm interrogating you, I would, all right, we'd, we'd do some role play. I'd say, okay, the GM, we know we'd roll these stats, right? We get our pool, we roll our dice. If I win, I can say you break. Or if I win, I can say I fail to break you because I think that's more interesting for the story. And what and what that does is it actually allows players, there's no imminent like random encounter that's gonna kill you. You can send a player off to do a solo thing because they're just rolling for the privilege to narrate that section of the story. Mm, okay. Right, like there's no, it just doesn't work the same way you would you like D and D works, right? Right, right. It's not. It's not a uh, group of adventurers. It's, right. It's um. And the game frames the players as members of a division of an agency. Mm-hmm. So you could be the Berlin Station. So you're all in Berlin. You're all in the station, but you all have different roles. You all have different responsibilities, and you all have. You might have some different motives that they. And it's a game of open secrets, is what we call it, because the idea is that keeping a secret to yourself doesn't help anybody tell a good story. But when you tell the secret to the group, um, instead of having something hidden or passing it with the GM, tell everybody, because then they can play with that information to tell a really good story full of drama and high stakes. Yeah, that as a as a storytelling device, that's always served me very well in like World of Darkness games, especially right. Vampire. Yeah, you know, it's like um, if you bring if if everybody has written on their character sheet like, oh, I'm a member of some clandestine organization that's like undermining the fucking vampiric uh, uh, culture of this city, and then they never see it at the table, then that storyline might as well not exist. Exactly you know? right. What well, good is a 20-page... I think John Wick says this in uh, The First Blood and Honor, and I'm going to paraphrase it terribly, I'm sure. But he says, what good is basically a 20-page backstory? Because nobody's going to sit down and read the fucking thing. Like, what is True. what is the goddamn point? Like, nobody's going to leverage that for good story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. keep the secrets on the table where everybody can see them. Yeah, I agree. And I'm also down with his kind of, like, uh, if it's not on the character sheet, then it kind of doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Everything should find its way to the character sheet. And if it's on the character sheet, then it'll show up in the game. Yeah, def- I, I yeah, I I would say I would agree with that too. Yeah, I completely agree. How how do you um, how did you approach the concept of the the game of open secrets mm-hmm. and this kind of like the intrigue in a group? And obviously, there's going to be like a lot going on in terms of like uh, play where characters are going to get to manage their own storylines, sure. right? Now it sounds like there there are going to be incentives for the players to work against one another in this a similar way that you would find in like a World of Darkness game. How did you manage that without it turning into a death spiral, or does it turn into a death spiral? I mean, my I think my recommendation in the book is don't play with an asshole who's going to do that. <laughs> like I'm not going to police your group with mechanics. Be an adult and play like an adult. Okay. Like, okay, fair. Like, I, I don't... Everybody always asks me that. I'm always like, I don't know. Don't play with that guy. Like, just <laughs> ask him not to come to game anymore. I don't know. I'm not a subtle guy. So if somebody does that in my group, I'm like, you're out. You just don't come back, please. All right. Okay. Usually with hey, less, you know less please and more fuck you. But... That's that's fair. That's a fair response. And it's it's one that I feel like more and more. Um, but uh, to, to decodify, there are... I mean, the, the, in the end, there's nothing stopping a player from killing another player totally. Sure. Um, but there there are some mechanical engines that allow a player to, you know, leverage that to tell a good story, I, I, I would say, instead. I mean, like, if we take, for example, the movie Ronin, right? Which is, like, a great, oh, yeah. like, 
intelligence flick. It's got some action in it, but it's more about tension. It's more yeah. about what's going on in people's faces and what they aren't saying. And mm-hmm. you know, I I think doesn't the, doesn't isn't that one of those movies that has a lot to do with a, a briefcase that we don't know what's in it yeah, and stuff like it's that. It's a mystery box movie for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I mean that that movie is about a group that is falling in on itself. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, are are you able to tell a story like that? Yeah, entirely. Game? Entirely. And and, and 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 could it last like a, a full campaign, or is it gonna is it gonna is, is the is the Aurora Ouroboros gonna like eat itself in a session, or I think how, how quick? I think if you're running that sort of storyline, you're sort of either either you have a plan to introduce new secondary characters when somebody dies. Or you're intending it to end at a certain point, right? I don't think you go into that story expecting it to last for 36 sessions or something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, to me at least as a GM, I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile those two things in my head. Um, if I, I would, if I was going to do it that, you, you could do it that way, absolutely. The game would support that. I would do a normal sort of spy thriller for the first half, and then I would do the Ronin bit and the collapsing team after they've had a chance to build bonds, they've had a chance to build relationships. They're they have something to lose at that point, right? Then mm-hmm. I would t- turn into that story and let the Ouroboros turn it on itself. Cool, cool, fair man. Sounds great. Um, all right, so uh, the the can, before we move on to the next thing, yeah, can you can you kind of talk about your like ethos that you have as a game designer? Like you sit down, right, and you get out the blank sheet of paper, mm-hmm. and it's all potential. It's all potential, right? Where do you begin? From what from what founding concept do all of these games spring? Um all the games I create come from one of three places. They either are a game I wish I could play that I don't have, and since I'm a game designer, I have the luxury of just going out and making that game. Um and that that kind of where Cold Shadows came from. They are games that fulfill a need I have that I'm not getting fulfilled. That's kind of where the Tiny D6 comes in. It's always a struggle to find a one-off or a con game that doesn't feel terrible because of, you know, you got to print a bunch of pregens or you got to make characters and it's no good. And they can be a miserable experience. Um, and, and Tiny Dungeon and its associated uh, line is sort of my answer to what do you do when somebody doesn't show up for game night? What do you? Because if you can make it, you can make a character in three minutes in that game, even if you know nothing about it. Um, what do you do at a con? I need a little game that I can carry in my backpack. Well, you just need some D6 and no cards and pencils, and you can play. Uh, so they, they come from a need they, that I have to play, or a need that I, I kind of see. I don't want to say in the industry as a whole, but I guess I guess both of those are technically different sides of the same coin of a need that I have. Right, either as a player or as a person who wants to run games in like convention settings or in between game night as a GM, those games fill that need for me. And then the third one is uh, kind of a just a I like writing games, man. Like I don't, so I will sit down some nights and go, okay, I'm gonna write on this, and then I wrote, have written twenty four thousand words on a game about vigilante superheroes in the city. And or I've uh, 
I've done something super effing crazy and created a fictional TV show with 27 seasons and 700 episodes as a backstory for a game I'm working on, you know, stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome. Which game, what was the show and what game? Oh, I, it's not out yet. I can't talk about it. Oh, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so do you have any like, uh, influences and is there, are there any things that influence your game design principles and strategy from other types of art are we talking like 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 visual yeah. art, music literature philosophy like what mm-hmm. what what drives you um i like cinematic things um i think all of my games share an element of cinema with them i i studied film for a bit in college and i've always found the sort of uh visual shorthand style of film very fascinating um, and it's interesting to try to translate that to a paper where the actual character is paper and the player has to do that visualization. Um, so I definitely take a lot from movies and like TV and stuff. Um, I'm an avid reader, uh, and I, I take a lot from that, obviously. Um, and then uh, I I just like consuming things. <laughs> so it, yeah. I just consume tons of media, art, books film television uh plays opera music i wrote a i wrote a whole rpg because i accidentally watched the iron fist trailer for the netflix series while listening to smooth jazz and i was like oh man smooth jazz and kung fu pair really well so i wrote a whole (laughs) rpg about kung fu and music you know so sometimes it's just like you get that that peanut butter and a chocolate right they just click sorry you're gonna ask a question no, no, no. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. So uh, the next thing for you, man, is Zorro, huh? Well, Tiny Supers on July 3rd. Uh, right, right. Okay. And then after that, the next uh, Gallant Night Game Direct Kickstarter will be Zorro for West End Games so, 2nd Edition. So tell, so tell me all about this, dude. So the, this, 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 this is kind of a big deal. Like, lay, lay, lay it on me. About what? Uh, Zorro's awesome, man. I don't know what to tell you. Well, okay. I mean, how how did you get a hold of this property? I emailed them and asked. You said, "Can I write a Zorro game?" Yeah, that, that was it. We had a couple phone calls, signed some papers. That's awesome. I, I, there's not That's there's not a secret story. I just I reached out and said, "Hey, like, he has opened to a Zorro RPG," and then we talked about it until everybody was happy. And because because you uh, have this relationship with West End Games. Mm-hmm. You were able to funnel that licensing in through Gallant Knight to do both uh, a D6 version for West End and then uh, a new D6 version. So West End Games has never had an official second edition of the D6 system. They've always done different iterations. And then there was Open D6, but this is actually a brand new D6 edition developed by Gallant Knight Games. It's the new West End Games D6 system. Oh wow! So it's wow. it's a new it's an IP that's never been seen in a full RPG before. There's a Zorro Quick Start back in the day from an old company. But they never produced a full RPG, and then it's a brand new Weston Games D6 sort of revival. And uh, Weston Games has a history of these classic properties, right? Star Wars, Ghostbusters, DC heroes, and so it really made a lot of sense to kind of chocolate and peanut butter, right? Pair Zorro with the Weston Games. It's just a natural fit, right? Yeah, I agree 100. percent so uh yeah 
it's kind of an interesting callback in a certain yeah. way to a different like era of gaming with the the pairing of a big movie franchise kind of with a with a role playing and, and it's, it's exactly the right company to have that that figurehead on it. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. That's why that's one of the reasons we did it. It took it that way. So, um, what's the design idea? Like, I mean, I mean, here's the question. Somebody somebody walks sure. in. First of all, do you feel do you feel like people know know who Zoro is right now? I or, I mean. Do you, I, I, I would be shocked if you could find somebody who wasn't at least familiar with the concept of Zorro on some level, right? I mean... Even, like, even like young kids? Yeah, well, there's a Zorro animated show on Hulu right now, produced by Hulu. Is there? Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh. It's really good. Good. Um, and then oh. and then you have the, the Puss in Boots from the Shrek series. It's basically a Zorro analog, even voiced by Antonio Banderas, right? Yeah. The the con- the concept of Zorro is still in the media. It might not be uh you know at the level of the Antonio Banderas movies or the Disney TV series or the heyday of the books, but there's still Zorro comics. Dynamite just wrapped a great Zorro comic run. There's a new Zorro comic where Zorro fights international or international supernatural uh enemies and creatures coming out. I I think Zorro's still very especially gamers, we tend to consume a lot of side media. I definitely think there's a lot of overlap in the game community and then Zorro. Excellent, excellent. So, um, I mean, I love Zorro. Yeah. You know, Zorro is one of those things. Like when, uh, when I was like a kid, you know, you could, you could, you could get at it. There were different ways to consume Zorro media, like you were saying. And then uh, in the '90s, there was those those Antonio Banderas movies that were great and they were really fun. Um, so I, of course, always love to see that idea kind of coming back around. Yeah. You know? And I, I think culturally the idea of Zorro means a lot to a lot of people right now, and it's an important idea. So I'm definitely excited to sort of bring that into the gaming community specifically. And w- so what's your plan for that? Is this because when you see a media like this, you see an IP like this, the first question is, is do I get to play Zorro or do I get to play one of Zorro's buddies? Um, both. Technically, okay. Um, you could so I, I I don't want to spoil too much because obviously until you know we finish the game as Zoro approves it, anything's open to change, right? Sure, of course. Uh, it's a license, so anything I say is not official ish. Um, but there's a there's the Zoro Legion, right? Which is um, Zoro and his buddies, his his friends on the ground, as it were, who hide him and stuff. And so there's a lot of potential for. Uh, Zoro adjacent stories where you can carry on Zoro's um, mission directly. Um, and the Antonio Banderas movie is a great example of that, where the original Zoro hands off the Zoro mantle to a new Zoro. Um, and so, and in the books, there's all kinds of things where Zoro, there's guys who help Zoro by looking like Zoro and just running around to distract people. Um, so there, there's a wealth of just stuff to pull from but yes you will be able to play zoro and his specific allies or create your own characters and tell your own stories adjacent to zoro awesome awesome and so uh according to the press release that you sent me we're looking at uh kickstarter for that in this year uh yep we're we're uh we're doing the western games one first um and we're we're aiming for uh late q3 early q4 cool cool um all right, man. So, like, kind of lay it on me. You know, okay, before we get to this next question. Sure. I got to ask you this. Because you, online, you and I are friends online. Okay. And I see you posting a lot about Pendragon, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're just, you're so passionate 
about Pendragon. Yes, right? I am. So, so here we are. You got these guys. They're listening. Pitch Pendragon. Give us. Tell us why. Why Pendragon? So, from a from a succinctness standpoint, Pendragon is, in my opinion, the perfect RPG. And I, I'm going to die on that hill. And I think I have online a couple times. Um, uh, there is, uh, man, I I could we could do a whole other hour about why I love Pendragon. I'll keep it. I'll try to keep it brief. Pendragon is the perfect marriage of theme, mechanics, and design ethos, and it creates a, a perfect sort of experience. It is a game focused on a singular sort of feeling and task of making you feel like an Arthurian knight. And it is a it is an example of uh, I think of what focused design can do. You know, and it, and it's funny for me to say that because a lot of my flagship games are generic system kind of games. I I love everything about Pendragon. I mean, it's 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 obvious in the way that you write about it online. You know, sometimes because people people will write about the games they're playing, and but then sometimes. You just get the sense of a person who has these very strong feelings that transcend their feelings just about games and about gaming, yeah. like for a game. And it's very clear that, that like Pendragon speaks to you in a way that other games do not. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you run it a lot? Uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> so, are you, many- so are you familiar with the great Pendragon campaign? Oh yeah, it's a big fatty, right? Yeah, yeah, that book. Yeah, it's uh, with the expansion and Book of Uther. I think it's ninety-ish years, so it's ninety sessions because you sessions a year. Yeah, I I've ran it seven times to completion. Oh my god! Not seven times. That's not counting false starts and halfway throughs and stuff like that. You've run it seven times to completion. Yeah. 90 sessions. Is that playing weekly or is that or were you running some of them at the same time concurrently? Yeah, uh, online concurrently over time via email, you just name it. I I I play a lot of Pendragon. I am going tomorrow night to play Pendragon. Wow. Wow. And you do you have a you have a group there and you tell Yeah, I got a few. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this one so this is the first time I'm actually ever playing as a player. Is this group? Are you playing the Great Pendragon Chronicle? Yeah, we are. We're playing the Great Pendragon. I mean, I've never played it as a player. I don't. I've, you know, always a GM, never a bridesmaid, or uh, Not right, <laughs> never a yeah, always a GM, yeah. never a bride, I guess. Um, and my buddy was like, I ran a demo for him because he's like, you talk about this all the time, and it's really annoying. So just run it for me, so I can tell you you're wrong, and we can move on. And I ran it for him, and he's like, I need to run this. This is the best RPG. I was like, I know. That's what I tell everybody, and they never believe me until I make them play it. Um, and so now he's running it and I'm getting to play it and it's everything I ever thought it would be. Wow. And, and the fact that you have such an immersive knowledge of the source material doesn't affect the, uh, the experience as a player. Why would it? it, Well, I mean, I I mean, I've never run it or is each one of those campaigns, is it, is it very different or or each one? So if you do it just by the campaign book, they're all going to be the same, right? Okay. Um, but RGM has peppered in some of his own stuff, but I mean, I've just never played it. Like I'm, I'm getting to play it, man. I'm a character. I'm a knight and I'm fighting giants and out there doing stuff. And man, I, you could have me do the same year over and over again and I would just be ecstatic. 
Uh, but so what what year are you on in the ooh, Green, Green Pendragon Chronicles? In this group, I want to say we're ten years in, out of the ninety, give or take. We had we had a 90. we had one year where it took like seven sessions to get through, <laughs> because uh, people were gone and so they had to do their own side quests and we kind of played different characters while they were doing their side quests or whatever. So that one took a while. Um, so we played a lot more than ten sessions, but I want to say we're about ten years in. Wow. Wow. So if you play the game, like as written, mm-hmm. it takes about two years to go through it once. If you weekly. Yeah. If you if you're if you're on point with this thing. If yeah. you're like no breaks, no no F ups, nothing. You're just you're just going. Man, that's some commitment, I gotta say. I and you've and you've done it seven times. Yeah, I've done a lot. I love it. Wow, wow. And so, where should somebody start with Pendragon? Like, if so, like, like, say, say they're listening right now, and they and yeah. they've heard this, and they're like, "Oh, I gotta try so it." So, if you go to alanbar.net, my uh, personal website, I have a unofficial, Alan's totally unofficial and totally biased Pendragon purchasing guide. Awesome. And it's a book by book breakdown of the current in print edition and what order to buy the books in and why I think they're valuable in that order, with links and pictures awesome. and everything. So, just go read that. That'll get you covered. Is is the Great Pendragon Chronicle in print right now? Uh, you can get it on drive through and print on demand. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, it's it's POD. Every, over there. Everything is POD for them right now. The uh, the new core book. They we did a revised edition of the core book at Nocturnal, um, and it should be dropping officially soon. The PDF's been out for a while, but we had some uh, Kickstarter backers that needed their copies because uh, when uh, Stuart Week passed, everything you know got delayed, understandably. Oh right, right. And uh, so once those are to their backers, we'll be. Turn it, put it out for sale in retail and on POD on drive-thru. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's see. I only got one more question for yeah, you, man. man. And it is this. Um, so, what is the big picture for you and for the industry the next five to ten years? So, for me, my goal is to make a lot of money selling games and then sell out in a big way to somebody. So, um, Asmodee, if you're listening, hey, we, we, we can talk. You're going to Asmodee? Oh, That's hey, if they're, gonna, if they're going to offer me a fat check, I'll go to anywhere wants to talk. Aren't, aren't, they, aren't they in the board game biz? <laughs> There's always room for RPGs. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I love, I love gaming and I love the community around gaming, and it's important to me. So, I mean, I intend to release games until I... Uh, die and then I'll figure it out how to do it from there probably um, I don't I don't know any other way to be so I'm just going to keep making games and you know maybe we'll get bigger maybe we'll get smaller maybe we'll stay the same but I just want to keep making games so that, that as a me level that's my goal right I don't have crazy massive take over the industry aspirations I just I want to keep interacting with my friends I always feel weird calling them fans because they're basically friends if we all play games together so absolutely I uh I just want to keep doing that. On an industry level, I think we got to figure out how to... Man, I don't know. There's a lot going on in the industry between Kickstarter and kind of the uh, the ascension of streaming and sort of the uh, consolidation of the industry into some new online spaces. You know, POD is sort of taking over normal distribution channels. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot to unpack. You know, and I, I'm new enough. I don't think I have all the answers. I'm just trying to ride the wave as best I can and make the right choice. Well said. 
Well said. All right, now um, you have an LE copy of uh, Four Coin and Blood for our listeners. Yes, right? one of the Make One Hundred limited edition red covers. We only uh, did a hundred of them, and some backers didn't get theirs. So we have a few laying around. Ooh, nice, nice. So what do they got to do to get one, man? What's the deal? So you got to uh, you got to go like the Gallant Night Games Facebook page. I think that's what we talked about, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, sir, go on. Like the Gallant Night Games Facebook page, and um, how long do they have to do that? Uh, two weeks. Let's uh, actually, you know what? Let's say through. Uh, let me pull up my calendar because I've got a con, so we can say through the end of that con. Why do we say uh, Sunday the fifteenth of July is the cutoff? That's like a week and a half. Okay, great. Two and a half weeks. So, so Sunday fifteenth of July. You got from now when you're listening to this through Sunday fifteenth of July, and uh, Alan's gonna um. He's gonna he's gonna randomly select one of the people who goes on and likes between now and then, and uh, you're gonna win a brand new limited edition, only 100 in the world, four coin and blood, and we're gonna send it to you. So, um, you know, Alan's gonna have to figure out who you are, and he'll let me know, and we can just work it all out. We can just get it all all squared away. We'll get your your um your uh. Uh, address and whatnot, and you're not gonna have to pay a penny for this thing. Heck no. Uh, between between me and Alan, we're gonna get the shipping covered. Heck yeah. To wherever, so don't don't even sweat it. But definitely go on Facebook, like Gallant Night Games between now and July 15th, so that you can get entered into that. So, uh, this has been Full Metal RPG. We got a new episode coming out Saturday. Thank you for listening. Always check out our stupid fucking Patreon, man. We're still on Patreon. If I don't mention it, Adam's going to skin me alive. We got that Patreon, and we're doing the thing, and uh, we got a lot of stuff going on there, and holy shit, man. Uh, let, me t- let me tell you, Alan, I do a little tiny bit of publishing myself, the tiniest of bits, and... Hey, dude, it's a it's a never ending hamster wheel, isn't it? it? Just it just it keeps you up at night. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Alan, uh, uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna put a bunch of uh, links in the show notes to uh, sure. all your stuff. So so guys, if you're listening to this and you want inter- to interface with Alan or if you want to um, uh, get his stuff. Check out the show notes, but Alan, where should they look for you? Where they should write? Where they should should they write you, man? Yeah, so uh, you can go to gallantnightgames.com, alanbar.net. I'm on Twitter personally as at alanbar. We're on Twitter as gallantnightgames at, at gallantkgames. Uh, there's our Facebook page. We have an official Facebook group. We all kind of hang out in and make noise in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a pretty open dude. I don't really hide behind anything. So you can find me wherever you want to look. I suppose, like in your closet, or throw out your window or something. I don't know, man. Wait a minute. That's not I, right. The parking... <laughs> I've been doing this from my phone the whole time. <laughs> the signal's coming from inside the house. Um, All right, man. Thank you for coming on. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's been great. Uh, and I am going to see you... I mean, we're talking. We're sitting here talking about, about the end of the middle of July, and we're I'm gonna be I'm gonna be seeing you right around then. Am I right? Oh yeah, I'm gonna be at Crit Hit. Uh, that'll be our next show before Gen Con, and then Gen Con's our last show of the year. So I'll be at Crit Hit with the Gallant Night Games team, which is just me and my volunteers, I guess technically. But uh, <laughs> I, say, I say it like court. I say it, yeah, that's the one. I say it like we're official, like, but it's gonna be this con. I say it like I'm official, but I guess the team is just me, and then whoever you know will condescend to help me out. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> but no, we'll be doing we'll be doing some play tests. Uh, that'll be the first public showing of the Tiny Supers rule set. I've also got a super secret play test I think I roped uh, Brendan into. Uh, and Jim Miller, so it should be some pretty slick stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then we're going to have some uh, uh, lightning talks from uh, Alan and Christopher Gray. Yeah. We are – we're Crit Hit 3 is looking to be a good time. That's uh, middle of July, July uh, 13th through 16th, I think. Yep. Uh, so um, if, you're in, if you're in the Phoenix Metro area and you can make it, come on down, hang out with me, Jim, Alan, Chris. We're all going to be there. Well, again, man, thank you so much for coming on, and I guess I will see you in July. Heck yeah. Right on, man. Have a good night. Thanks, guys.